millions and helps But give me something, something To figure out, discover your information This intimate situation Show me, show me, show me All the ins and outs Cause it'll just make it easier to love you What's up, everybody? Chris and Dan, we're here coming back at you with another episode of the Chris and Dan podcast. This is episode number 266, and we are using this episode to, uh, I, I suppose, slowly transition from football to basketball. But we have a lot to talk about uh, in both um, worlds of co- collegiate athletics. Hi, Dan. Hi, Chris. Yeah, definitely, even though the pit football season is technically over on the field there's plenty of other off field topics that we'll have through the year but uh, more importantly in the world of collegiate football uh in total there's plenty plenty of things going on that we'll uh, talk about as well and and yeah like you said it's uh fully basketball season here for the pit panthers uh first of all big shouts out to the to the volleyball team the women's volleyball team acc yeah. champs made a nice run in the ncaa's uh, congrats to them, but uh, yeah, we we slowly and uh, maybe not so excitingly move into basketball, though there were some good things to talk about this week, so we'll do that one as well. Well, listen, Pitt uh, has won three games in a row in basketball, and uh, no matter how they've happened, they're, they've won a few games, and uh, that's something to try and try and enjoy uh, while For it sure. lasts. Over the last week, Pitt beat uh, a a institution called High Point, which I have never heard of before. Um, really? Okay. But then they beat an institution named Duquesne, which I, I have heard of. Very much more familiar, yes. yes. So we're going to talk uh, a little bit of Pitt basketball. Uh, we're probably going to start the episode off with some <clears throat> football talk, though, since that is still very top of mind for everybody. Um, not necessarily digging into Pitt itself but um we are recording on sunday and there is a lot of news throughout uh, the world of college football because the college football playoff final rankings were released today um and so we're going to talk about who made it in who didn't and uh if they got it right we're also going to talk about the coaching carousel because I, at this point, legitimately have n- no idea wh- who coaches some programs. Um, are, are, are either one of us here to make an announcement that we've accepted a job to coach anywhere? Because it seems like there's offers everywhere, Chris. I mean, at this point, it's possible. And uh, <laughs> given given how many people have turned down Tennessee at this point, somebody like you or me is going to have to coach there, I think. We're on the list, I think. Uh, um, so we're going to talk about that stuff as well. We'll probably kick off the episode uh, that way with some football. So uh, that's all coming your way in this episode. Quickly, as always, before we do, I'd like to remind you that uh, you can and should subscribe to the podcast. We are anywhere you listen to podcasts, so look up Chris and Dan Podcast and hit subscribe. We recommend... Uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, those are all good good spots to listen to us each and every week. Um, we are also on the social medias. You can look us up on Facebook, and our Twitter account is at ChrisAndDanPod. Uh, we have a phone line that you can utilize to leave us a voicemail or uh, shoot us a text uh, throughout the week, any day of the week, uh, any time of day at 412-376-376. 7151 
Um, all of that information and more is on our website, chrisanddanpodcast.com. Uh, lastly, Dan is on Twitter at SteelCityDan22. Double deuces for you. I am on Twitter at Chris underscore Gates. And uh, this episode uh, is brought to you by Rum Runners. That's our sponsor. Rum Runners Saloon located uh, at 3385 Babcock Boulevard. And that's in Pittsburgh's Ross Township. So shouts out to Rum Runners. Uh, we, appreciate the, uh, we appreciate them bringing you this episode. Dan. Chris. The four teams have been decided. Yes, they have. Uh, we have Clemson. We have Oklahoma. We have Georgia. And then, were you surprised? A little bit. A little bit surprised that Alabama was able to sneak into that fourth spot. I'm thinking about it last night. I'm thinking the way that this committee thinks and the precedent that they kind of set last year regarding... Uh, one loss, non you know, champion, non champions of a conference. What they did last year, and the way that they have thought about Alabama all season long, that perhaps they still had a strong argument, and it wasn't going to be very clear. I, you know, it was obviously still a surprise to many, many people. Uh, even still, so much for for me. Uh, again, me sitting there thinking, watching it, going, you know, Ohio State can celebrate, and they, I think, I, I thought that they would have had to absolutely blow out Wisconsin, which they did not do, uh, for them to really make the argument to to leap over Alabama, playing their um, sitting at home on Saturday night this past weekend, championship weekend. So, even with all that being said, me like trying to make the the argument for both sides, it still was uh, a little surprising that they that they managed to. Uh, to roll the tide right into the fourth spot. What oh, about you? You did yeah, it. Yeah, there you I go. I did. Easy. Easy pickings. <laughs> T. Boone pickings. <laughs> T. Boone pickings. Um, yeah, it was interesting. I, you know, I didn't actually even really think about how this might have related to last year until uh, our friend Matt, who is a Penn State fan, uh, was texting me this morning, and uh, we were just you know kind of speculating who might get in and who might not. And uh, he he mentioned that Ohio State was pretty much in the exact same situation as Penn State was last year. So he was saying, you know, he'd be kind of pissed if Ohio State got in because right. then that would have kind of gone completely against the, I guess, precedent that they set last year when Penn State didn't get in. Um, so I, I agree with that. At the same time, I, you know – Okay, if, if if I'm comparing Penn State or sorry, if I'm comparing Alabama and Ohio State, yeah, I think like Alabama is a better team. I, mm-hmm. I I'm I'm pretty positive of that. If they played, I'm pretty sure Alabama would win that game and, and probably convincingly. Um, it is it is weird though to think that, I mean, essentially, the the conference championship in this sense, was a complete non-factor. It seemed like the way that they explained everything, like Ohio State would have had to absolutely blow out Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game for them to get in over Alabama from the way they were talking about it. Yeah, they said Alabama unequivocally was better than Ohio State this year, and if they did match up on the field, that they didn't think it would be much of a game at all. And I think a lot of that has to do with 
you know, what, what happened to Ohio State this year and their their losses. And then you look at Alabama's sole loss to an Auburn team, Auburn team that was playing world beaters against everybody until they met, met up with Georgia uh, once again in the SEC championship game. That game was not as close as I think a lot of people thought it would be as well. So, you know, difficult to get a grasp on what Auburn was this season, but they were world beaters. They had a difficult schedule. And that's a, you know, respectable loss for Alabama. But the other thing is you have to look at how they viewed Wisconsin in this whole thing. Mm -hmm. They kept Wisconsin on the outs until they basically had to put them in when there was chaos and turmoil and everybody was losing top teams falling down. Pitt beats Miami. It's like, okay, well, now you have to put Wisconsin in. They were having the argument beforehand, undefeated, weak strength of schedule, they're undefeated, but they're still outside looking in. Then they kind of had to put them in. They they were left with no choice. So I didn't think the the committee never really respected Wisconsin in the first place. So for Ohio State to beat a Wisconsin team that they were unsure about this whole time, and again, in in a way, in not a big fashion, they didn't blow them out by any means, anything like that. Since they didn't do that, they still felt that Alabama looked more like a top four team, a top four team all season long versus Ohio State that was inconsistent with that and played an Iowa team and got blown away. Yeah. Um, that might have been it, just that loss alone. But uh, Alabama, regardless for them not playing a championship game, showed more consistently this year their overall body of work was more consistent with a top four team than what with Ohio State did. And again, taking a look at the win in the Big Ten championship game over a Wisconsin team that they weren't too keen on with anyways until they kind of were forced to put them in. Yeah, it's just weird, though, because they got to a point where Wisconsin was ranked ahead of Alabama. So at, yeah. at that point, they said Wisconsin is better than Alabama. So then the team that beats Wisconsin in their conference championship game is not better than Alabama. Like I could, that's that's a fair one. Yeah, that's a fair argument. Yeah, I, I we, when we talked about this last year, I think I even wrote a blog for our site, and I I said like, Penn State, I I agree with their fans and why they're upset. Like I I felt like they kind of got screwed out of it, and I kind of feel like Ohio State did too. Um, all of that, even you know, saying all that, even though I I admit that I, I do think Alabama is a better football team, mm-hmm. um, it's just weird. And then and then, um, so five was Ohio State, and and Wisconsin was six. They were ahead. They ended up ahead of USC, who no, they had like reporters camped out in Los Angeles at USC. Nobody was even like paying attention <laughs> to Wisconsin anymore, which I get, but right. that Wisconsin finished ahead of, of USC, which was surprising to me. Yeah. It was a little bit surprising there as well, you know, over an, a, a conference champion uh, in the PAC 12. So definitely still surprising. That's the thing when you have this committee, it's, you know, they, they, they kind of set their bar and their, the way that they go about their business. But we're still talking about human beings in a committee that changes, you know, on a on a year to year basis can change a, a couple people. So they might have their their way about going business, but when it comes down to it, they want the best four teams out there, and they kind of just I think throw a lot of this other stuff, the formula, if you will, the formula that they maybe used all season long. They kind of just say like, you know what? Here it is in front of us. Let's forget the formula. Let's. 
what's going to be best here? What's going to make us the most money? What's going to be the best TV ratings? Who are the best four teams? Not necessarily who's the best playing right now. Mm-hmm. It's just who are the best four teams, and they've respected Alabama for a long time. They were number one, uh, you know, They've been number one in this poll for a long time, dating back to as long as they've been doing it, and even so much this year before they lost. Um, and now they get the opportunity to have a rematch of last year's national championship game in the in the first round of the playoff, which I mean, I'm sure that's going in the mind in the back of the head. Again, we're not talking about a computer anymore. We're talking about human beings, and now you get to promote that as such, Alabama versus Clemson in the first round. They absolutely love that. Not that Clemson-Ohio State wouldn't have been much less of a draw, but... Still, because you have that you know national title rematch tagged to it, and again, I think they feel the same way we do, that even though there may have been a formula of a reason why Ohio State has a right to be in there in the top four, most people think that Alabama would beat Ohio State in that, you know, if they were to play in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, now we get one hell of a matchup between Clemson and Alabama, which could go either way, so... It's entertaining, but I think you know on a yearly basis here we're going to deal with something, and it, it's really just coming down to human beings making decision what they feel is, and maybe kind of drift away from a formula that they set. It's it, that's how it is. Well, okay, I have two questions for you. Okay, first of all, like you just mentioned, so you're going to have a rematch from last year. You're going to actually have a rematch for the third year in a row of Clemson True. with Alabama. If it was Ohio State, it would have been another rematch of Clemson-Ohio State because they played last year. Are you at mm-hmm. all worried that we're kind of, with this playoff, working our way into just seeing the same teams play each other every year? Yeah, a little bit. Honestly, uh, I, I am, and I don't know if that's reason and argument to expand it to eight. I know a lot of people favor that. I don't necessarily fall into that category right now, but... And, and the problem with it was, Chris, is that there was an opportunity to see a, a lot of new teams going into it this year. There was there was teams like Miami making a name for themselves. We just saw you saw Notre Dame. Thank goodness that kind of fell apart, but you saw Notre Dame <laughs> with a chance up there early on. USC, uh, like you said, they kind of had a chance early on and kind of fell and then came back up. But there were chances for some other teams to get in. But you know, yeah, yeah, you would think that there'd be a little less parity in college uh, than what we've seen in the three years now that they've done the college football playoff. You're seeing a lot of rematches. So, yeah, that is kind of a, an unfortunate thing. Positive is that you can have totally new teams. And with Clemson now, you've got a brand-new quarterback. You've got brand-new players there, uh, a, a lot of things that are different. But, you know, still, you don't want to get into this rematch territory where you're right now we're talking three years in a row and if it would have been Ohio State you're looking at another rematch which went terribly last year I think that's another thing that they feared with Ohio State is that they put them in and um, you know when they didn't score any points they got blown out so um, you know that type of history moves along too so I, I yeah I just hope that it doesn't become too much of a pattern here moving forward yeah I'm I'm I really am gonna like I don't have a lot of excitement about seeing Clemson play Alabama again this year. Sure, I yeah, don't. that's fair. Yeah. I um, like I kind of think about like even just Alabama in general. Like I don't, I don't get interested in watching much SEC football because pretty much the same thing happens every year, and Alabama yeah. just you know 
curb stomps everybody on their way to the SEC title game. And and they're not enjoyable to watch doing it. There's SEC, right. SEC teams that are fun to watch playing, playing the game, but Alabama is not an enjoyable watch when they do it. No, no, they're not. And, like, so, so like, I've, over the years, lost interest in, in watching just the SEC in general because of how – predictable that's become and like I don't want it to I don't want the playoff itself to become that because I I really like the playoff I really like the Mm -hmm. way it is so and that that leads me into the second question I had for you is and you kind of touched on it is the idea of an expanded playoff um, and what what your thoughts would be on that and and I'll give my take um, because that's seemingly what we end up hearing every year. There, there's right. a segment of the college football world that says, well, if you had six or, well, if you had eight, um, this wouldn't be a problem. And I just feel like if we had six, then we would be debating who the seventh team should have been. And if, yeah. we, were, <laughs> if we had eight, we would be talking about the ninth team that got left out. You're always going to have that. So. You can't just say, well, if it was eight, everything would be better. No, it would still be the same exact thing. We would just be talking about different teams. Um, unless, I suppose, if you made the eighth, if you made the eight team thing, the five power, five conference champions, and then three at larges, but then you're still debating about the at larges, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I don't know that that would solve anything. It would also mean college kids are playing potentially an NFL season. And I don't know that that's um, right or necessary for exactly. kids that don't uh, for kids that are supposed to be, you know, taking tests and being classes and they don't get paid. <laughs> I yeah. feel like that's a little bit selfish to get like they're already making in this college football playoff. They're making so much money off of this. And then you're <laughs> going to have the kids play twice as much and make that much more money off them. I don't know. There's something kind of skeezy about that that I don't like. Um, but I like the four teams personally just because it still puts us in a situation. And I think I've said this in previous years. It still puts us in a situation where the regular season, it means so, so much. And you look at the four teams that are in there this year, they all have one loss. And the teams that got left out, well, Ohio State was the one we were debating, and they had two losses, and that's what kept them out. Like, you can't lose that second game, and I love that. But if you have an eight team, you might you might be able to get a three-loss team in there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with you in that regarding the schedule being way too many games, and it makes the regular season so, so much more important. I think you would lose a lot on championship weekend, even potentially with teams. Uh, look at the matchups we had this past weekend, championship weekend. Uh, I'll... And then imagine if we had eight teams in the playoff. You know, a, a lot of those teams that lost would still be in, and it wouldn't matter. It's just like, oh, well, where do they rank? Where do they fall? You know, who do they play? Mm-hmm. It would only change the matchup, not a matter of whether they're in or not. Now, you're right. You're still going to have that debate of who's, you know, who's ninth then or something like or if it's sixth and who's seventh. You're right. Just like with the NCAA tournament, now that it's expanded as far as it has, there's still – Last four out, last four in. No matter what, they keep expanding it, and yeah. it's still the same it's same argument every year. So I completely agree with you there. Um, and I think, yeah, you would just lose a little bit of that momentum from the regular season, and championship weekend wouldn't probably have as great of an impact. Now, you could have somebody sneak their way in, you know, into that top six, top eight. You're going to have that. But again, look at this past weekend 
in the top eight teams that you had matching up already, not a whole lot would have adjusted there. So, you know, I like it as is as the four right now. I'm, I'm with you there and keeping it that way. It definitely makes every game that much more important. And that's what you want for a regular season. You don't want it to be, you don't want it to have less meaning at all. Yeah, agreed. Um, all right, then my last question about this for you is, how do you feel about the way the committee is structured? Because that that's another, I think, hot topic that pops up this time of year, every year. Yeah, I don't like it, man. I really don't. Uh, who's the Ohio State athletic director is on the committee? <laughs> like, yeah. are you serious? <laughs> like, that's what... <laughs> Which is also surprising why he, you know, another reason why they got left out. But there's just too much uncertain bias. And there's so much bias and stuff like that, politicking going on in college sports, that it obviously happens in those circles as well. So how can you have that much faith that you have way too many people tied to these big-time universities that are obviously in the picture? Now, obviously, those are those are smart and intelligent people that you, you want in a committee like that, but way too close of a tie to some of these colleges and universities that are likely to be in that debate in the room. Yeah. You know, then it's the whole thing. Like I think in the NCAA uh, tournament committee, if they're talking about somebody that's on that committee, the athletic director, whoever it is, has to leave the room right. so they don't get involved with it. So I just find that unnecessary, uh, and there's better ways to do it. I don't know if necessarily putting Condoleezza Rice on the committee is the answer, <laughs> like they started with, but I think there's other intelligent, non-biased people out there uh, that may, aren't associated with a team or a conference. Maybe it's more more power, more outside the Power Five. I don't know what the answer is. Um, maybe more. Maybe podcasters. Uh, maybe, maybe podcasters. It's a brilliant answer right there. Right. An absolutely brilliant answer. Yeah. But I think there's, I'd like to get a little bit more influence from people outside of those institutions in particular that find themselves uh, in the hunt for these playoffs. That's, uh, you know, it, 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 it leaves me a little bit uncertain what goes on behind those closed doors and we just don't know. Yeah. I agree. When money's involved, you can't really, uh, you can't really. I guess factor anything out as to how true, yeah, a team might get in, and it's, it's, when an AD of a uh, team that is perennially in the conversation is in the in the room, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. I'll tell you that much. No, um, yeah, maybe maybe that should be the there should be some stipulation that like if you've been in the college football playoff, your AD can't be on the committee or something. I I love it. Put Lane Kiffin on the committee. There we go. Oh, Lane. well hey that's a great transition because lane's name is kind of bandied about from time to time because everybody's looking for a new head coach oh boy everybody looking for one this has just been a mad scramble uh over the past couple of weeks and this in particular the last seven to ten days i guess everything that has fallen apart and a lot of you're right it's been a head coaching carousel we 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 go through it year after year but this year in particular chris it's been absolutely wild some of the movement going around, guys like Chip Kelly, Jimbo Fisher, uh, our, our buddy R.I.P. Todd Graham. Uh, that's too bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> for Herm Edwards. Scott, yeah, Herm Edwards. Yeah, Scott Frost. It's it's been absolutely wild. I don't even know where to begin with this topic. Okay, well, so some of those you mentioned mentioned Chip Kelly is at UCLA. Jimbo Fisher left Florida State for Texas A and M. That's one of the ones now that is open, Florida State, and it has a lot of different names bouncing around. I've heard Justin Fuente 
uh, Willie Taggart. Lane Kiffin is a name that's been kind of mentioned there, although I would be pretty shocked. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've ever been on the website footballscoop.com, uh, but they do really good work this time of year. Um, and for you listening, if you haven't visited that site and you find this information uh, with the coaching carousel to be entertaining, I would suggest going to – they have a they have a tab on their website called The Scoop, and they just update it every day with the, the latest news. And today, it, it, we're recording on Sunday. Today has been a absolute disaster. Like <laughs> you have, you have Willie Taggart um, denying that he's a candidate for Florida State. Meanwhile, everybody behind the scenes is saying he's an extremely strong candidate for Florida State. Justin Fuente is also saying he's not a candidate for Florida State and staying at. Virginia Tech. There were all these rumors that Gus Malzahn was going to go to Arkansas, and now he's finalized a deal to stay at Auburn. Uh, you mentioned Scott Frost. He's now in Nebraska. Apparently, UCF, since Scott Frost left, is UCF is now targeting Kevin Sumlin, who was fired at Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. Um, geez, I mean, it, it, it's it's all across the board. And then and then there's the whole Tennessee thing, like. That I can't wait for the thirty for thirty on this Tennessee situation. <laughs> it's absolutely wild, and it it seemingly is getting it's it just get it got worse and worse and worse. I think it hit its rock bottom, uh, rocky top. There you go. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely nowhere near the rocky top right now. But um, you know, bringing Phil Fulmer back as athletic director, I think, was just more of a move as like. This is putting our best face and foot forward. Maybe not the best guy for the job, but in terms of trying to rebuild this program now, what happened uh, with Greg Schiano and and where that fell apart, and John Curry, the athletic director, uh, coach after coach after coach, Chris, that was named as a potential next candidate, and all of them just turning it down, turning it down uh, as late as as far as up to Mike Leach in uh, Washington State and. Athletic director John Curry at the time going to meet with John, uh, Mike Leach and pitching the deal, and the Tennessee Chancellor stopped him and said, "Don't negotiate with anybody. Why don't you come back? We got to talk a little bit." Twelve minutes into the meeting, bye bye, you're gone. And I think that was absolutely the best move. I know the guy's been on the job for eight nine months, but he started this whole thing. It all it all started with him, and the only way to try to make good out of any of this is to get him out of the room for sure because nobody wants to go there. Nobody wants to go there. Nobody's going to be able to trust him with what happened uh, you know, under his short watch there already. So I thought that was the right move. And again, I think bringing uh, Coach Fulmer back as athletic director, I don't like coaches as athletic directors. I really don't. It usually is more, yeah, it's more of a face move. Um, like Barry, Barry Alvarez. Alvarez is really the only one I can think of that's been wildly successful. That's been successful, right? That's what I was just going to say. He's the only one. I, I still can't stand it, but I, he's actually been successful at the job. Uh, it, it used to be extremely popular. Uh, that used to be the, the easy move, and it used to be done all the time. Uh, back in the 80s, 70s, 60s, it used to be almost a dual position at some institutions. But uh, fortunately, it's kind of faded away from that, I think. And I think this for Tennessee – was just that there, although there was rumors that, you know, people that were in favor of uh, Coach Fulmer were trying to work behind the scenes to 
get John Curry out as athletic director so Phil Fulmer could come back in as athletic director. There's a lot of stuff going on with big-time donors and behind the scenes that's just been a mess at Tennessee. But I do think it is a good thing that he's there because I think it at least builds a little bit more trust up in that athletics department and that football program right now. I just don't know who in the hell is going to coach that football team. So, yeah, I mean, because they've turned, they've already had bad negotiations with like 10 guys that might be a good coach. (laughs) Who is it? So it started with Shiano. Then Jeff Brom was involved. Um, Dave Doran was involved. David Cutcliffe was involved. Mm -hmm. Uh, Who am I missing? I mean, it was just coach after coach after coach. Um, Yeah. I agree with you on the whole former coach, now AD thing because you know i just think of when we've gone through uh athletic director vacancies and you know from time to time people would say well we should hire wani he loves the university he loves this uh program and i the all i could ever think of when people would bring that up was like imagine dave wanstead having to figure out the gymnastics budget <laughs> you know Exactly. That would be a train wreck. That would be an absolute disaster. So, um, Philip Fulmer, I don't know. I, I think he's been like sitting around, not having a lot to do, kind of jealous of Barry Alvarez. And I think re- really what Phil Fulmer thinks is like, you know, look at Barry Alvarez. He, he gets to coach a game every once in a while because when yeah. things fall apart. I really think Phil Fulmer's trying to like weasel his way into the Barry Alvarez situation. Full-time AD, coach a game once every three, four years when you have to fire a coach. I think that's like his 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 rocky top, I think, is is that situation Ooh, nice. right there. Nice. I, you're right. You're absolutely right. I like that. Um, there is one gentleman, though, that the name hasn't come up yet, and I think it's perfect timing. You know, maybe a former SEC coach, guy with a lot of uh, championship experience, um, Pat Nardis. Todd Graham. No. <laughs> Not quite. Not quite. Uh, a guy that I like a lot, the guy that's been sit- sitting at home for a little guy- a while, a guy that wants a big-time job where he can win conference championship, maybe, you know, in the in the running for a national championship. Um, any clues? Any clues besides that? I what know if I, what if- that you're talking about Les Miles. Okay. You're damn right! And before we recorded, I saw a report that he had been reached out to. So is that right? Yeah. So there you go. All right. Read my mind. At least somebody's on the same page with me. Nobody recycles coaches better than the Southeastern Conference. That is true. That is true. So it'd be a nice way to get him back in. Boy, would that be a a a great pairing for for me? But it's been it's been a mess, and uh, you know I I hope they do get it figured out. They 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 dug this hole for themselves. And they've kind of got to lay in the you know the grave that they that they dug, but at the same time, the chancellor is not messing around. He made the right move to get the AD out of there. So you know I hope they're on their way to rebuilding back. But I know a lot of people were saying this is you know a lot of the, it's the fans, it's the fans because of what they did with uh, the Shiano uh, hiring. I, you know that is what it is. That's SEC country, baby. I've been to I've been to games down there, and it's uh it's like that in every SEC school. So. Um, you know, it's it's been a disaster, a mess, but it, it looks like they're at least on the other side of things. And, uh, you know, we'll see who uh, Phil Fulmer can dial up on the old Rolodex, dust, uh, dust some, uh, 
you know, wipe some dust off of that thing and see who we can get in touch with. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe the hat's the guy. Isn't Jimmy Haslam, isn't he like a, like, he's with the Browns, right? And isn't he yes. like a major donor to Tennessee? He is. Apparently he's been, uh, you know, part of this mess and just, uh, That's you know. shocking. Part... <laughs> right. <laughs> that is shocking. <laughs> Makes complete sense. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, this the, the whole Tennessee thing has made me feel a lot better about pit football. It definitely does that. It definitely does that, my friend. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. I mean, we had a coach um, for 17 days. That feels like an eternity compared to a coach that lasted like four hours. Mm-hmm, Greg Schiano. Right. <laughs> right. So. Uh, yeah, but I'm also interested, yeah, who is going to end up at uh, Florida State. We had one thing that we talked about was the number of new coaches heading into the ACC this year. And, you know, now we've got another one in a big-time program on the other side the conference there so that's going to be interesting uh, as well to see who ends up landing in that it's a it's a big time spot a lot of pressure there did you see that uh radio show jimbo's uh radio show this last radio show they did the other day with that fan who asked the question and got physically thrown out no i uh i heard that he was still doing his radio show which i could not believe they allowed but i didn't right. hear i didn't hear or see anything that happened in it yeah yeah a guy asked where the loyalty was and uh, you know, some people were booing, and the guy, the guy, guy working the athletic department just started like pushing him away and shoving him out the door. Um, oh, but boy. yeah, it was a little strange that that was you know still taking place. That you wouldn't think that that maybe Who thought that would was be a good idea to do, right? That that maybe wouldn't have come up or something like that. So, uh, boy, oh boy, yeah. Sometimes the decisions aren't uh, aren't all that wise to to make a scene like that. But yeah, he's off running for the hills to become one of the highest paid co- the highest paid coaches ho- coach in uh, college football history. So. See what he can do at A and M. Yeah, that just seems crazy to me. Yeah, if anyone's <laughs> making more money than Nick Saban, how? Exactly. How? That's that, yeah, that's a great point. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. Oh, anyway, well, yeah, it'll be like you said. It'll be interesting to see um, who ends up there. Uh, there is um, at least one ACC coach that's rumored. Um, hey, and. Shout out to Oregon State, uh, my Beavers, who I, I try not to talk about too much on this show, but they actually hired a really good coach, a coach that played football, kind of like Scott Frost going back to Nebraska. Yeah, do you like that hire guy? Yeah, I didn't. You know, it was he's obviously a guy that's more of a you know in close to that community, not a guy with a um a, a big name attached to it. But that's not always what you what you need. Right. So you like that hire, huh? Jonathan Smith. Yeah. I, uh, he's been the offensive coordinator at Washington with Chris Peterson there the last three years and their offenses have been really, really good. So, uh, that's a good thing, but he was the quarterback at Oregon state. Um, when, uh, you'll remember like when, when, uh, TJ Hushman Zada was there, um, and they were in the Fiesta bowl and they beat up mm-hmm. on, on Notre Dame. Um, he was the quarterback for the team. So, yeah, I mean, I think if the, or that is a extremely tough place to recruit. So I think if you have sure, a guy yeah. that's like actually passionate about being there, that probably helps a lot. So, and not, not the John Smith, uh, you know, Pocahontas that not that guy. No, not that guy. Okay. Not just checking. Guy. He's just checking sources. That was, a, uh, have you seen, do you, have you seen the actual, uh, the, this, this guy that Oregon state hired? He's, he's, he's short, isn't he? He is much shorter than the John Smith from Pocahontas. <laughs> right. <laughs> he is. Uh, I thought I saw that. He yeah. is like 5'8". He's, he's probably not, maybe not even. I don't know. I don't know how he played Division One football as a quarterback and like beat Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl and he's that tiny. I don't know. I think I saw a picture 
on Twitter. It, it didn't. Um, who was the quarterback that? W- What's that? That was in that, that he played that that played with him. That he played like behind. Uh, it was Derek or Anderson. Derek Anderson, yeah, who's you know uh, rather tall, and yeah. they were like next to each other, and it was oh yeah, quite the gap. And Scott Barnes <laughs> hired him, and Scott Barnes is like six five. Yeah, right. So, Scott Barnes is a big dude. Yeah, yeah. so. But uh, <laughs> anyway, we'll uh, if any more entertainment comes, we'll be uh, sure to to talk about it because I, I find, right. especially when Pitt's not involved. Um, yes. I think probably be, probably because Pitt has been involved, now I find the coaching carousel stuff to be wildly fascinating. Um, yes, just how for sure. the trickle down effect happens across the country. So we'll stay on top of that stuff. But uh, what do you say we uh, transition over and, and talk a little Pitt basketball? Let's hit the hardwood, baby. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, let's do it. I uh, got a chance to see the Panthers for the first time this year in person uh, at PPG Paints Arena in the city game on Friday night. Played Duquesne. And, um, you know, after last year, you can't take a win like this for granted uh, or a game like this for granted. Um and I thought, okay, I have to put it out there since we haven't really talked about Pitt basketball that much so far. Mm-hmm. Like, I expect Pitt to lose a lot of games this year. Um, but I am going into the season just hoping to see development. And one thing that I've liked so far this year, despite the obvious flaws in, uh, and um, inexperience and youth and the mistakes that come with that, that they have, I have seen a lot of players uh, really fighting to compete. They they try really hard, hard. They battle. They do, and um, we won't know for another year or two whether that battle level and compete compete level turns into you know really good basketball players or not. But for right now, that's what you want to see from a bunch of freshmen, essentially. And the city game was a game for me that was kind of eye-opening in that it was a stark contrast from last year's team because last year's team was a team that, man, did they look disinterested a lot of the season. And it was tough to figure out why. And in a game against Duquesne that that those guys probably took for granted because, y'all, you always beat Duquesne. It's just Duquesne, whatever. Um, They lost. They got upset, and it was extremely embarrassing and then you come back this year with a completely new team, a ton of new faces, a ton of young players. Um, and, man, they just played hard. Like, they fought for rebounds. They uh, they defended. They they wanted to be there. I, I, it was kind of refreshing, even though, you know, obviously this is a team that has a lot of improving to do. That was one of my biggest fears, Chris, heading into the season was that, you know, will this team, this young team play hard when there's games where they know that they're not going to be in, you know, early on and even going into like the city game where there's a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of leadership and carry over there, uh, seniors there. So you have a bunch of new guys playing again and you know how, like they can't really care about what happened last year. They can't, uh, they, they weren't here. You know, how much do they care and know about the city game when Duquesne's coming off of, you know, they got Keith Dambrot in there now, a lot of new energy and excitement in Duquesne basketball, as there should be. He's a fantastic coach. 
but the big upset that they had last year that they're trying to carry over and pit with a bunch of new guys, you know, finding that motivation. But you're right, we've seen it. And I've been very, very pleased by that, the um, the competitiveness in this team. And, and, you know, with, again, looking at a coach like Kevin Stallings, you know, how much can he get out of his team? That's one of his biggest, when's been one of his biggest issues. And we saw it crystal clearly last year. And so that was a fear of mine that, now you have a bunch of new guys in here. You can't lose that early or else you're done. You're screwed. And yeah, you're right. Fortunately, we've seen a lot of play, a lot of fight from these young kids. Uh, not all of them young, but a lot of these newer players, I suppose. And that's that's the biggest thing because we knew this was going to be that type of year. going to be a lot more L's and there were going to be W's. But you wanted to see development. You're looking forward to the future. Uh, and so far, the, you know, the few number of games that we are in, there's been bright, bright spots, especially the last three to four games here. There's been a little bit more of a, you know, continuous momentum rolling forward. Yeah, and, you know, I don't expect it to really blossom into anything remarkable. Um, like, I fully expect Pitt to do pretty poorly in ACC play. Mm-hmm. But, like, I think they're, you know, I think if you go into it expecting anything other than that, you're probably really foolish. Uh, and you're setting yourself up to be super disappointed. Uh, like another moment this year that I thought was kind of just encouraging was, you know, Pitt got crushed by Penn State, lost by 31 points to Penn State, came back the next day and battled Oklahoma State and uh, played their hearts out against a team mm-hmm. that was bigger and more experienced and better than them and uh, nearly pulled it off. So since then, they've won three in a row. Um, they have, is it Mount St. Mary's on Tuesday? Yes, on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And then West Virginia on the weekend. Like, I don't think that they'll win that West Virginia game. But if you can uh, just show, you know, that same compete level, I think Pitt will probably be able to steal a few conference wins. Like, basically, Pitt can actually shoot. Like, Pitt can shoot relatively well. What they need to do is not turn the ball over, um, yeah. which against High Point, I think they turned the ball over 20-some times, and that's not going to work out very well. Uh, but then they only turned it over eight against eight times against Duquesne, and, and, and that was a much more comfortable uh, game to be a part of. Um, so Pitt, Pitt can shoot. They need to not turn the ball over and find out a way to rebound. And some games they've been able to do that uh, on the boards and some games they haven't. So um, I think that'll be the real clear um, discrepancy against a lot of ACC teams. Like when you see the ACC schedule, you start with Miami and Louisville. I I would expect those not to go very well and Pitt will probably get Mm -hmm. crushed on the boards. And, you know, that's it, it just is what it is. You're right. That's definitely the you know overlying theme that's going to be any to get any sort of success from this basketball team this year. Uh, now shooting over fifty percent uh, in the fourth consecutive game uh, with their fifty three point six percent against uh, Duquesne in the city game on Friday. So again, from where they started into now fourth game in a row, starting to be a little bit more efficient there. You're right. The turnovers thing is huge. I think it was twenty two versus High Point and a season low versus Duquesne in the eight that you mentioned. That's huge because, you know, a team like High Point, maybe the game shouldn't be as close as it was, and maybe it really wasn't as close as it was, but you gave too many turnovers away in the second half that allowed High Point at one point to take the lead with seven minutes to go. Yeah. And then eventually Pitt just, you know, uh, you know, started to take it away from there and be comfortable with the foul line. How about that? 
it's nice to be comfortable going to the foul line late in games to seal things and put things put things away. So, um, you know, that was at least a little bit more of a comfortable feeling with the way that this team shoots from the free throw. Um, and, and the high point game could have gone differently. They, their second leading scorer, Proctor, wasn't playing in that game. Uh, their their um, leading scorer, Fox, was dominant, but uh, the other kid, Proctor, that wasn't playing could have made the made that result a bit a little bit different. And again, most of that be sloppy turnovers. And you just have that from, uh, you know, young guys, inexperienced guys and guys that are trying to put some things together. But you, you, you saw a lot of more of that versus Duquesne. If you could see it at all, because it wasn't on television, ladies and gentlemen, you had to go to Facebook to watch this game, the city game for crying out loud. Is that right? Um, yes. It wasn't on TV. No, not on TV, oh my which God. is a joke. It was an absolute joke in this city. It, it makes no sense whatsoever um you know you had a couple of anxious moments there against duquesne but uh you know really once it got to the 12 minute mark left in the game you know Pitt started to pull pull away so you limit those turnovers you keep shooting the way that you do and you gotta you're gonna play this team deep which you need to because you got a lot of talented guys on this roster but you know sometimes it's, it's gonna be like one of those things where it's gonna be someone's night you never know who it's going to be um, you know, there's a lot of guys that are capable. Well, like that, of, like I could see that Parker Stewart kid in some ACC game going like six or seven from three and Pitt steals a win that they shouldn't have because he's just a good shooter. Yeah. But then he'll yeah. have, but then like the rest of the ACC play, he'll be underwhelming. Yeah. He had two points, uh, against a high point, but, um, did I get that right? Two points where well, he went five for seven from the field against Duquesne and one for two. Against yeah, against high point. So you're right. It's just like that was that was his night. He had a great night. I thought uh, Wilson Frame looked again. Looked I love the way he plays, man. I love the way Jared Wilson fr- Frame plays the game. He looked great against high point, um, but you know didn't it wasn't his night at all against uh, Duquesne. Went one for nine from the field. So yeah, it's going to be one of those things um, where it, you got to roll this team deep and see see whose night it is. Is it going to be a night where they can. Uh, win a battle in the, in the paint like they did against Duquesne, uh, four, 42 to 28, uh, winning the edge in points in the paint against Duquesne. So it's nice to be able to win down low there. Uh, and you're going to need guys, uh, you know, to be able to win these games from three. You don't have Cam Johnson back there anymore, unfortunately. But yeah, a guy like Parker Stewart, who went four for six from threes against Duquesne, is going to need to do that in ACC play. So again, playing this team deep, limiting turnovers. Efficiency from the field, I think, boom, right there. You're going to steal a game two or three in the ACC, but the rest of them are obviously going to be tough battles, and you just try to find those moments moving forward because um, you need to find, you're going to need to find a guy next year. There doesn't have to be a guy this year. I'm fine with that. But next year, you're going to need a guy, especially with Ryan Luther leaving. Yeah. Um, Luckily, you know, Ryan they, Luther has kind of been a, a consistent presence for Pitt. Um, the majority of this season to, to start things off. Cause they need that. Right. Yes. It's nice to at least have that a little bit of stabilization there, but yeah, once he's gone, somebody's going to have to be that guy. And it's really just a big evaluation right now who can consistently give you that night in and night out. Uh, so far it's been up and down, but it's okay because you can play deep right now. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, some guys that, you know, I think could potentially be that guy. Um, two of them, of the, of the young guys that really stick out to me are Marcus Carr and Shamil Stevenson. And uh, Craig Meyer had some good um, stats that he was putting out today about uh, just kind of the progression of Pitt 
um, over the last four games uh, and kind of how the offense has come together. And uh, this stat on Marcus Carr is pretty good. 13, He's at, over the last four games, he's averaging over 13 points a game, over five assists a game. He's shooting uh, 63% from the field. Uh, he's 50% from three and uh, over 90% at the free throw line. So uh, that's a freshman that's, uh, you know, got a lot of growing to do. And we've seen quite a few point guards at Pitt start early in their careers. And by the time they're seniors, they develop into something that's truly special. Um, so I, I think he has the potential to, to be, you know, kind of to kind of fit that mold. Um, and then Stevenson, he, he just reminds me of, I mean, he's huge for a, for a, for, yeah. for a, like an 18, 19 year old kid. It's insane. Mm-hmm. And he reminds me of kind of a player that could play that, that front court big East physical style of basketball, you know? Um, cause he's it's been a long time. Yeah. It's been a long time since Pitt has had a guy that could be down there, down low, play physical, not only rebound, but also score points. Yeah. It's nice to have a guy that can do both yeah. again. Yeah, and he's going to – I fully expect him to struggle in, in conference play. But hopefully sure. hopefully he can become better from that. Um, and, uh, you know, I think he has all the all the talent in the world and, and, and such a high ceiling. So I'm mm-hmm. excited to watch those two players as the year goes on, and, and you hope to see them uh, continue to improve and elevate their game – in some situations, and that that I think would give you a lot of of uh, uh, optimism for the future. Yeah, for sure, and that's what you have to. That's all you can really look for. This now, that's kind of just the blinders that we have to try to have on. You know, like we said, they'll they'll steal or win or two that they're not supposed to have, and, and you know there'll be nights like that. But really looking forward to that optimism in, in these guys, which you know, again, you you watch them night in and night out, you can find. Those special things, those special nights, some of these guys, Carr, uh, Wilson Frame, Stevenson, uh, Stewart, again, just to name a few of, of what can be there in the future. And, yeah, it's kind of a a good learning process for them because it's going to be tough. They're not going to walk in. Think, nothing's going to be handed to them easily besides their playing time uh, going up against some of these huge ACC foes that are going to be you know, highly ranked for the majority of this year. It'll give them something to work on, something to learn from, and to, you know, salivate over next year when they get their chances and can be a little bit more of a collective group, more talented, more experienced group to, you know, eventually make their way. This is going to take time. This is going to be a couple of years, but, you know, I, you know a couple of games in, it was a, it was a rough and bumpy start, but over the last couple of games, there's been a little bit more stability and, again, reason to find optimism, different optimism, really, on a nightly basis. Yeah, and I hope, you know, I, I know it's it's well known by now that Kevin Stallings is a popular uh, whipping boy uh, from the, mm-hmm. the, yeah. the fan base, and I totally get why um, we're so far from that. We don't need to rehash it now, but uh, the fact of the matter is he's, he's here, he's brought in, he's He's brought some talented young players um, or what appear to be talented young players into the program. Mm-hmm. Uh, b- perhaps I should say young players that look like they have uh, potential for high upside. And I, I just hope he gets a chance to to make something of it. I, I know he's not everybody's favorite coach, but I think the worst thing you could do is, you know, obviously Pitt's going to have a bad season this year. They're not going to yeah. win a lot of games. 
Right. I think the worst thing you could do would be to then fire him and try and bring in another coach. I mean, unless you know you can make a slam dunk higher, I I I I think he probably should be given the time to take these young players and show that he can mold them into something. Um, and if it pans out, then you're it, then great, good. We, we we stuck it out and it, and it paid off. And if it doesn't, then you have a clear, obvious. Okay, we need to move on. Yeah, we need to at least. Yeah, you're, I agree with you in, in being patient to to find the players for his system. There were you know players that were here last year that obviously didn't mold and blend with him well, and there was obviously a lack of discipline. We think in the program dating back to Jamie Dixon, as much as uh, people revere him now that he's gone, especially that he has TCU ranked. But anyways, I think that's the that's the worst thing. You're right. That's the worst thing we can do. And you know, I almost found myself rooting for him. There was a play in the high point game near the end of the half where. Uh, high point hit a three and then Ryan Luther had a lazy inbound pass to Carr who wasn't looking and it was an easy easy bucket for high point right there and Stallings took the timeout and went off on the team including a, a guy a senior in Ryan Luther deservedly so mm-hmm. he's not going to make anything easy I think if he holds the discipline well and, and and molds these guys you're right he's an easy punching bag but the worst thing we can do is not be patient and give him the chance to do what he does best with his players, uh, that would be the worst thing. So, you know, it may not be easy for the year or two until we get to that point, but, you know, that's the uh, that, that's what we at least have to try to keep telling ourselves uh, to do here week in and week out. Yeah, there are, like, there are no accounts that say Kevin Stallings is a bad basketball coach. Like, right. at the very least, everybody says, yeah, this guy knows what he's doing. He knows how to coach basketball. So you might as well give him... Uh, the leeway to try and try and you know make something out of this situation yeah i completely agree so patience is is key um and again try to find the joys in what you can see in these young guys and again it'll be nice to have a maybe a spoil win or two in acc play once we get into that or maybe west virginia that would be nice hey Um, there we go not expecting it but (laughs) no we have uh like i said mount st mary's on tuesday uh, at 7 p.m. and then on Saturday, uh, 8 o'clock ESPN2, the backyard brawl uh, from the Pete Pit taking on uh, the nationally ranked West Virginia Mountaineers. So um, cool to get that rivalry back. Uh, the result probably won't be cool, but that's okay. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll have that to talk about next week, which would be good, along with. Uh, Anything else that happens in the college football world? And uh, I think that's it. I think that's about it. Yeah, we'll uh, you know keep keep floating along with basketball season here uh, before we get into conference play. And I'm sure there will be no shortage of college football news that we can follow along. Uh, you know, right pre bowl season here. Yeah. As we get into that, so that'll always keep us entertained, no doubt. At least there'll be an update on Tennessee. Well, yeah, it may not result in actually having a coach, but more stuff's going to happen. Going to be some news one way or another. Maybe maybe good, maybe bad. So we'll see. All right. Well, thank you uh, all for joining us once again in episode 266. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, we also appreciate Rum Runners for sponsoring this episode. That's Rum Runners in Ross Township. Uh, make sure that you subscribe if you haven't follow us on the social medias anything you uh are looking for about our podcast check out our website chrisanddanpodcast.com uh follow dan on twitter at steel city dan 22 you can follow me on twitter at chris underscore gates 
Um, Dan, good luck watching pit foot or pit basketball and one of your other teams that you root for, Tennessee, trying to find a coach. I'm sure it won't be a tough week for you. <laughs> I'm sure it won't be at all. No, it, you know, it's going to be just a just just a delight, just what I need for the holiday season. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Brighten up the, the holidays. Right. So. All right. Uh, once again, thank you all for listening. And uh, until next time, we will talk to Yins later.